This episode is brought to you by Jar Jar's Collectibles. They're the best place in Australia to get NRL, AFL, BBL, and all of those footy cards, cricket cards, everything that you want to collect, they've got it from pop culture to sports, including halftime posters, which we've also got a giveaway coming up soon of some halftime posters. So be sure to check out our Instagram and Jar Jar's on Instagram, but also for one week, we've got an exclusive code. It is Madden 10. That's right. M-A-D-D-E-N for Nicholas 10 and use that code Madden 10 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life in Sport podcast. And we're joined by a very special guest. I'll give you some of an introduction for him, um, but he's a man who definitely needs no introduction if you're a VFL, AFL fan. Four-time grand finalist, two-time premiership winner, 1985 Norm Smith medalist, three-time All-Australian, six-time VFL team of the year, four-time Essendon best and fairest, second most games played for Essendon, only one, uh, the only player behind Dustin Fletcher, AFL team of the century, AFL Hall of Famer, and one half of the namesake of the Madden medal, Simon Madden. Thank you for joining us, and how is your day going so far? Uh, CJ, thank you very much for inviting me along. Uh, so far, so good. In uh, Melbourne, the weather's beautiful. I don't know why people complain about Melbourne's weather. It's uh, nice, sunny, 24 degrees today. So I'm trying to get outside a little bit later if I can. But uh, all good, mate. Uh, I'm refreshed for the 2023. We're past the last three years of lock-ins and lockdowns and uh, misunderstandings. And yep. oh, I'm looking forward to a great 2023. Oh, fingers crossed. Hey, and speaking of the weather, we've had some good and awful weather up here in Tweed Heads. It's Rained absolutely and stormed last night. Luckily, it cooled it down, but now it's so humid. Sunny, but so humid today. So hopefully... You don't understand what a colored shirt is up there, mate. <laughs> I've been up there. Well, I was actually... I've been up in... Uh, I've got to go to Brisbane. I've been up in uh, around the uh, northern coast of uh, New South Wales. I was up in surface for a little while. And yep. uh, that's all you need All you need is a collection, a few collect, a collection of a few T-shirts and a few shorts and maybe... Maybe a pair of runners if you want to walk a bit. Otherwise, thongs, and that's just the way you live up there. It's fantastic. You're not wrong. You're you not wrong. Enjoy, you can't enjoy. You can't enjoy the middle of winter in Melbourne in, uh, with a nice, uh, nice red in front of an open fire. It just doesn't yeah. sort of much up there. Man. No, it definitely doesn't. But let's get started and talking about your career. Uh, you went to St Bernard's College, and from there, I want to ask when and how did you discover your passion and love for Aussie rules. Well, it was really smart. I uh, when I was in uh, well, when I was in primary school, I was terrible. I was a big, big awkward kid. I couldn't catch the ball. If I went to catch it, I'd miss and hit me in the head. I got to pick it up and it bounce off the ground and hit me in the chin. And so I really liked it. I mean, my father was a mad Geelong supporter, so I grew up in the very old era of Dennis Marshall, Dennis, um, Dennis Marshall, uh, Polly Farmer, Billy Goggin, Billy Ryan, the best mark in league. That era I grew up on. Did and- you grow? Did you grow up following? Geelong. Well, I did. I, I actually followed Geelong because my, my father was born in the Warrnambool area, and so that you know the closest, of course, town to anywhere west of Geelong is Geelong, of course. So he yep. was a Geelong supporter. I grew up with that, but I reckon I was about seven when I realised at a school of St Christopher's in Airport West, where I grew up, about six hundred and fifty kids. I was the only kid in a Geelong jumper. So I was <laughs> saying to my mother, "Well, I think I want an Essendon jumper, and I'm seven years old. Can you put seven on the back?" And yep. so my mum was great at doing that, and I thought, "Now who's?" Who's number seven? And I learned that it was, uh, num- what's his number? What's his name? Number seven, Charlie Payne. I always remember that. Yeah. Was somebody with an actual, somebody actually had a rhyme. Somebody yeah. had a call for their number. So uh, well, that's when I started uh, following this. And it was sort of back and forth with dad. But um, yeah, it was just the two things that in, when I was young, either played cricket or, or football. And then uh, bas- a bit of basketball came along. But I was terrible at cricket. I was terrible at footy. But all my, all my mates played it. So I wanted to play with them. So yeah. 
So about grade five, grade six, I started to get the hang of it, under 11s, under 13s, and um, yeah, then uh, then started to get uh, more involved in it. Absolutely. And how did it come about? Obviously, back in those days, there wasn't a draft. It was zone areas. You know, you had to basically, you know, the, the speaking of the Mornington Peninsula earlier, that was St. Kilda's uh, breeding yeah. ground and all that. So your area would have been Geelong or was it Essendon's area? Oh, no, it was, all, it was all around Essendon. So the three main areas for, and the, the whole, whole Victorian state was uh, divided into zones. And then yeah. there was different rules and regulations about how you got players from interstate. They won't yep. go Introduce of that, but we had a, a large Essendon area, a large area around Ringwood, and yep. the Wimmera, Wimmera area up the country. So we had a lot of great players come from that area. So I was just—I grew up in Airport West, um, which is uh, not far away from you know, sort of Airport West, Nidri, North Essendon, Essendon. You know, not yep. too far away. Yeah. And I was owned, and my older brother Paul, who was a great footballer, but uh, in his teenage years was more interested in a rock and roll band. He <laughs> played—he played um, under in Essendon under 19s. Uh, in 73, a long time ago, in the grand final, had his nose and cheek broken with an elbow. Um, and our dad, had passed, our dad had passed away when we were younger. And so mum was, you know, very worried about this rough game of football. Yeah. But Dan Southern was the coach after that season, came to uh, invite Paul back to uh, play the next season. I was about 15 and 10 months and Tuddy turned around to me and said, oh, and Paul was going, I'm an auntie, turned around and he said, oh, do you want to come and try with Essendon after Christmas. Now, you think about a 15-year-old. Right. Still in high school, pimples. I would have been in year 11 the next year. And um, he said, do you want to come and train with Essendon? Of course you do. You know, yeah. I'm sorry, kids. So I started training with Essendon uh, in January in 1974 and then ended up playing. Um, I was thought I was going to play in the uh, under-19s, but they put yep. me into the, into the seconds. And then towards the end of the year, I got uh, six out of the last eight games in the seniors. And Wow. What was that like? It was literally a boy against men. What was I, that I, like? I, I look, I suppose Justin, my uh, younger brother, who you know, he only played for around thirty-two games. Uh-huh. Very good. Only. <laughs> uh, he's you know, he's best and fairest premiership players. A great player in his own right, and huge. I think when he um, when he's uh, at his biggest, he was six foot ten and one hundred and twenty-five kilos. I mean, it's huge. When I he's he's your little he's your big yeah, little brother. My younger brother, because my. Yeah. I, my big brother is my shorter brother, so he's my, <laughs> older, he's my older brother, and my little brother's my bigger brother, so yep. he's my younger yep. brother. <laughs> but I, I think he made a point that he, you know, he was I was sixteen, he was thirteen when he saw me start, so he, he saw the harshness of the game. Well, I was just yep. a kid; he could watch from the outside and see. But he said I was probably which would have sorry to interrupt, which would have given him a really good insight to make the decision of whether he wanted to commit to going into the VFL. Yeah, yeah, and he and he, he saw how, I mean he saw the highlights, but he saw the hardness of it. Yeah, he, he made the point, and I, I look back when I was fifteen. Um, he said you were the you know like going into the VFL back then. You were probably one of the most prepared players because the year before, at some stage, I was playing three games of footy a week. I'd play yeah. for play for the school on Wednesday. Yep. Play for under 17s on Saturday morning and then go and either watch or play in the open age on yep. the afternoon. So not much training, but lots of football. So when Which I is up, technically training as well. You've got the match fitness, you know. It's, you know, it's all match instead of uh, training, it's it's match it's match play. So yep. I so when I went into that, yeah, I started in the seconds and then gradually got the idea of it. And then um yeah, towards the end of there they put me in the seniors and uh, down at Moorabbin and uh, a very interesting start and then yeah, that was the start of the career and then the next year um, I, I yeah, played m- um, most of the games in the seniors a couple in the seconds and then spent most of the time in the seniors after that with a couple of hiccups a couple of, yeah. you know, a couple of runs in the seconds very rarely and 
But um, yeah, it was great. It was a really. Were you, were you still at school that year, or did you did you quit school to go full time at the in the VFL? Well, so back then it was it was really um, out of hours. So you, most people had well, everybody had a had job. day jobs, yeah. And you'd train after work and play on Saturday afternoon. So it was very simple to very simple to work a a job in nine to five around, yeah. Not, and you know, training. Maybe some blokes had to get out of work a bit earlier. Um, if you're a teacher, which I, I eventually became, then mm-hmm. it to fit in because you'd be able to get away from school. Uh, training's at five, but later on, it just got harder and harder, harder and yeah, harder. Yeah. Everything in. But it was. Um, uh, I was, but the first year I was in, you know, year eleven. So I played. What did your mate say at school when when I you're like? I, I loved it because we it was St. Bernard's a boys' school. So all you did was talk football or girls. That was about yep. the conversations and not much about study and so forth, <laughs> a lot of footy. And um, yes, yeah, so I ended up playing um, for the school on Wednesday in Essendon on uh, Saturday. <laughs> wow. And it, look, it just couldn't happen now because you might, you know, you might get drafted seven and a half, but you won't actually play until you're, you're eighteen. Well, legally now, I'm pretty sure it's an actual obligation. Like with the NRL, you can't make your first grade or senior in AFL debut until you're eighteen. Now, isn't it? Yeah, and that, look, I think in lots of ways, that, you know, that's fair enough. I um, absolutely. I uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a cheeky fellow. At times I've, I haven't done it rarely. So I've done it about twice. I think for somebody's getting pretty uppity about themselves and getting a big head. And I've said to them, you know, they turn, they finish the season and they're 19. So when they turn 20, so when they end of their season, they're 19, I say to them, how old are you? Well, I've done it twice. I won't do it again. It's too old. So I said, oh, 19. Oh, good. How many games you played? Oh, you played 15. Oh, you're going all right. Oh, yeah, I'm going all right. So like when I was 19, I played 65 games and won a best and fairest. Don't get hit. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I I would too. As you said, it's only happened twice. But if I'd had the accolades that you had at that point of being, by the time you were 19, already a best and fairest 65 games, you know, it's, again, it won't happen anymore because you can't play until you're 18. But it's, they do say it takes 50 to 100 games to really, you know, be bled in the AF, in the VFL, AFL. I I tell you, any of those, um, you know, any of those sports, I think, I've, I've said for a while that if you learn the game in the first 50 and you understand the game in the next 50, roughly. So yeah. if you play over 100 games, you have a really big impact and you really understand how you fit in. Yep. Players don't play 100 games. So most yeah. players don't understand where, the, I mean, they understand the footy, but they don't understand the bigger picture where they fit in and how it works. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It, it, and it's, you know, like it's a hard game. I mean, if you look at, you know, those fingers, uh, apart, yeah, from, wow. apart from eight, they're all good, you know. I think, yeah. You know the the best one for the you know for the for the critics is just to show that one where it doesn't go the right way. It goes the yeah. right way, go. and then but it bro- goes back the other way. Yeah, broken, operated on. You know that that's you know that's that's part of the game. Part of the game, and and you you understand that you've um you've got a. It, I think doctors like most doctors like sports people because yep. they want to get back and play. Whether you're a, a rugby player or a basketball or football or male or female, whatever sport you're in. <clears throat> You really want to get back, so you know. Yeah. There's very few sports people who are malingerers, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the trouble is you've got to hold sports people back because they want to get into the game again too quickly. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, they're like they want to get their rehab over and done with, get me back in the game, but sometimes that's a detriment to them, sort of thing. Funny about this, you know, like a footballer or a basketball or a rugby player, uh, world game soccer, not that yeah. the people understand soccer. If you go to Europe, they don't understand the word soccer, but. Um, <laughs> Most of most sports people just want to play the sport. That's it. Now, that, that's the motivation. So all the rest. I always remember um, Lee Matthews, who's um, the player of the century last year. And if anybody doesn't know uh, VFL, AFL, um, it just I've got league. his autobiography in my in my library catalogue. Just literally, I've got it ready to read. 
and he's a legendary player. And I always remember he said, and coach as well, of course. Yeah, and he coached, he coached premierships at Collingwood, um, played in premierships at Hawthorne, been a great commentator. Uh, I like his philosophy of footy, but I always remember once he said, he said, I played footy for nothing, yeah. said, but I wouldn't do all the other stuff for nothing. Yes, that's it. That's the, it. All the media engagements, all the this, that, the, the other. Prof- all the professionalism, that's what they paid for because there's people around the country playing sport on the weekend for yeah. the enjoyment of it. Yeah. And that's the part you enjoy. It's all, you know, it's getting up in the 5.36 o'clock training sessions, being like, right. being uh, out late at night training, doing the extra work, doing the media, doing, coping with the injuries, coping with the, you know, the scrutiny. All that is the extra bit, which, you know, adds to the professionalism of the sport. Yep. Like the playing is the good part. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the best part. Like you literally train and you do all the media to get to, you know, Saturday or your Sunday or your Friday game. And then it's all over again for bloody 20 plus weeks. And then if you make finals, almost 30 weeks. So yeah, yeah. you definitely want to be getting paid for the, for like the game day is the privilege. It's the fun. The rest of it, as you said, is, is I want to get paid. And I totally, totally and absolutely agree with that. And speaking of, you know, outside of footy and this segues perfectly into this question. What was your outlet from footy when you were a pro athlete? Some players have, you know, golf, some, some current players have gaming, etc. What was your one? Um, very one, nice. One of these. I, uh, I started learning guitar early. and um, I started learning when I was 10, and I'm still learning, and I'm 27 now. No, well, I, uh, I'm, I'm a bit older than 27. I'm Sorry. Still, you're, you're, you're 28. Yeah, no, I was 29. You know. No, it's, it's really interesting. I won't tell you how old I am, but it's uh, a very interesting. Well, I'm, I'm on the dark side of 60, but it's a real interesting one. I've said to people before, if you want to... Uh, you want to confuse people, but add a few years to your life. You say to your, you say to somebody, "Look, I'm closer to sixty than I am to 50. It was yep. actually, actually true, but they automatically put you between fifty and sixty. Right? Like I'll say I'm closer to thirty than I am to twenty. People will think, "Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely get it." Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and so, when you're over thirty, you can still say I'm closer to thirty than I'm to twenty. And I'll absolutely. To yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, um. Now, that was a great outlet. Uh, also, I played a bit of basketball, which was another outlet as far as sport goes. Yeah, because uh, it's not the sport that you're doing professionally. It's a, it's a knockabout sort of sport for you. And you've got to be – I did. I had a chance to play high-level basketball, but that's another story about – it wasn't as big back then it is now compared to football. No. I, I, I could have gone to try it, and I went and didn't like the coach and walked out. So um, it didn't Fair enough. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But, um, yeah, I think – and I think with modern footballers now, or modern sports people, you know, I talk about football, but the basketballers, uh, the the rugby players – All athletes. All that. You actually do need – and because it's full-time, you actually need a day off and something else to completely take your mind away from what you're doing. Absolutely. And you, know, you should be developing. Any young person should be developing if they're in a, a sport, whether they're an individual sport like golf or tennis or they're into um, a team sport, that they – they should be finding something that really takes them away from it. But also, what are you going to do afterwards? What's yes? What's the career after football? Because you know the average football doesn't last forever. Yeah, and the average average sports career is about four years. So, well, the average AFL and NRL like currently is about I think they said they equip like fifty to sixty five games average. So that's about if you're injury free, three yeah. to four seasons max. Yeah, that's right. You can get and you know say you've got a season before that develops. So say five seasons at the moment. Yeah. And a good day six. So what are you doing? So what what takes you away from your sport? So when you come back to it, you really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Takes you away from your sports and concentrate on what's going to happen afterwards. Now there's only 
X, X amount of lower level jobs, uh, football, sports jobs, it'll pay you a lot. It's only X amount of jobs around the sport. It's only X amount of jobs in media. So you got to, and I've seen people who have been really successful after sport because they've been very good at, at working on something during it. So um, Absolutely. You know, some some go into real estate, get their real estate licenses. Some go into trades. You yourself were lucky enough to be playing in the era where you still more or less needed a day job to an extent. So you went to uni, which was the Australian Catholic University, I think is what it was. It's with the, the forebed of what that is called now. And so, uh, and then I, I was a teacher and it became full-time, part-time, not at all as football become. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and then once football ended for you, did you go, did you continue I, into teaching? I was still in teaching, but then I said, no, um, well, it doesn't pay enough. But, <laughs> Fair uh, enough. <laughs> I think it's a little bit better, but I, I then moved into um, a business. So I worked in IT and a media and a media company, IT company, and developed um, my, my business skills. And then I've been running my own business for 12, 13 years now. Um, and then you also got in, in charge and in like in with the AFLPA, which brings uh, up my next topic, the Madden Medal. Sorry to, sorry to tangent real quick. The no, Madden Medal, it's named after you and your brother. Yeah, How'd so that come about? Well, see, we, we were both... I was um, president of the Players Association while I was playing. Yeah, that's right, yeah. As, as the game became more professional, the the... the the association had to become more professional to match that. So uh, in, in my time, our, our group, we actually developed the what would be seen as the basis now of the, every contract, the standard playing contract. Up until yep. then, um, your good players would get looked after and all the lower players would be, you know, cannon, cannon fodder wood ducks, as we call them. Uh, they'd yep. be so we wanted to make sure that, and remember in sport, professional sport, your product is your player. Yeah. You can't, you know, you think about it, if it was an AFL uh, women's team or an AFL men's team or a, a female rugby team or soccer, you can't just go and outsource that to, to China. You just can't. No. Oh, we're not going to have this team. They go and strike. We'll just outsource it somewhere else. It, it, it couldn't work. Which, by the way, real quick for a second, the NRL and the NRLPA are currently at a war at the moment trying to get a, a CBA going. This has nothing to do with AFL, real quick. So, just, but, uh, but but the topic you bring up is like, we'll outsource it. Well, the NRL fund, because the NRLPA have asked for certain things uh, f- with the CBA, such as a pregnancy clause for the women and all that sort of stuff. And the NRL have come back with, here's 12.1 million salary cap and basically brushed everything the NRLPA is trying to strive for. So the NRLPA PA and the players are going on sort of strike and are threatening a strike for round one. And the NRL have come back with, well, we have 160 players over over in America ready to come over. I'm sorry, but the rugby league over in the US is nowhere near the standard that is over here. So. Yeah, look, uh, look, <laughs> no, that's great, that's, look, that'd be that'd be really interesting to see. It'd be it'd be a spectacle. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see how the if the fans turn up or not, because if their favourite favorite players aren't playing... This episode is brought to you by Talent Locker. Talent Locker is the ultimate player recruitment app, making the connection between players, teams, coaches, and everything in between, and agents, so much easier and accessible for everyone. Use their features to help bridge the gap and find the exact player that you're looking for, or the club, or the coach, or the agent, all of them that you're looking for, head to the App Store or Google Play and download Talent Locker today. This episode is also made possible by Crush Organics, a natural alternative to pain management, anxiety management, and much more. They're a CBD mainly based company over in the US as well as in Australia. I use their gummies to help me get off to sleep a bit better. My partner uses their creams to help with her arthritis management. So if you're struggling with something such as arthritis, or even if you want some game day or match day, uh, recovery that's natural 
and all that, be sure to use their cream. Use our code LIFEINSPORT for 40% off at checkout. They won't. They won't because, as you said, the players are the product. You know, the RLPA, sorry to interrupt real quick, the RLPA are asking for, because um, the NRL currently have a thing of they'll look after you for 12 months after retirement for any surgeries and whatnot, but that's not long enough. They're asking for three to four years because some injuries and whatnot don't become present for a few years afterwards. They're asking for a few more years and all that. And I, that's not, I'm on the side of the players for this. Like it really needs to be. And so they're like, no, nah, here's 12 million buggy. We've got USA players ready to go. I'm like, I'm not understanding. Well, that'd be fascinating. But the interesting part too is that um, uh, the AFL Players Association, they look up for the rest of your life. So what you got? Oh, NRL, take note. <laughs> Well, no, I was going to say take that because what you have to do is you have to have private health insurance. So one of the yep. things, and of course, there's a waiting period. So if, if you didn't have that, they would actually assist you in getting your uh, private health insurance and then wait your waiting period and then get something fixed up. I had, I had a, just for example, I had a little elbow clean out uh, last year, earlier last year, just yep. on football injury. And um, they, uh, they, I was out of, and you know, in, in modern, I've got private health insurance, but in the yeah. modern world, I was out three, uh, I was out of pocket three and a half grand, and you show all the receipts, and they just fix it up. So any operation yeah. to uh, any operation directly related to footy, and any joint operation happens. Yeah, is, and you obviously have to prove a doctor's note would like to cause that it was caused by the footy, of course. Well, it, well, it, it, it's very hard to tell when you when you're my age, it's wear and tear from footy. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. You, you, they look after for anywhere up to uh, out of pocket eight grand per operation. So yeah. that way, that way, remember if the players we got very you know very political. If the players are yeah. the, looking after the product for the future, so that the young player coming goes, well, I'll put my best into it because I know that I'll be looked after afterwards. Absolutely. And in the modern world, in the modern world where there's a lot of other options for young people now, that you know putting your body on the line, so to speak, in a sport might not be the option if they see that it's going to affect my life afterwards. Absolutely. So about how you and I, I, I did it. You know, I've said what I do now is I work with organisations about improving their people, and I talk about young people, and I, and I love working with young people. And young people for me is anybody under fifty. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but the but you know someone under thirty like yourself is that um, it's really changed. Well, not changed, but they're probably young people or people in general want to be valued for who they are, not just what yeah. they. Do. Yeah, and not for what they can provide to you or for you so if you value them for people as started and this is with sports people you value them first for who they are and make them part of your place and part of your culture and part of your organization and then you value them for what they do as well you actually get better workers you get better yeah. players, you get better performers um and when big organizations start treating their people like a cog in the wheel Mm-hmm. Uh, by the sound of it, the uh, you know rugby's going to do that. Uh, rugby league's going to go. Well, no, hang on. We'll go and get some. We'll take these cogs out and put another cog, set of cogs in. It goes but, to prove they don't value their uh, current crop. They don't value for who they are. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And when no. once they understand that, they'll actually have a better product. And the AFL, I'm sure the AFL would love all this happening. Yeah, what happens is there's always this you know to and fro between the AFL and the both codes. Yeah, and uh, the oh well, if you're not going to have a good product, that's better for us. So, Absolutely. I mean, I love both equally and i'm just the, the nrl needs to do so many things that the afl already has in place and yeah i, I don't even know like there's a reason the afl gets eighty thousand, sixty thousand to a regular thursday night game you know in the middle of the week and the we get maybe 60 to eighty thousand to our grand final and that's it you know yeah. there's a there's so many things that the nrl need to take a page out of the afl book to learn how to do it better 
Yeah. So anyway, there you go. So there's something. You know, you might be able to play this to the NRL fans and see if they can uh, can oh, push. Well, absolutely. Well, well, our demographic is NRL and AFL fans mainly, so there'll be a crossover somewhere. Um, right. And one of my next questions is: it's about coaches because obviously we spoke about Lee Matthews, great player, great coach. Who's been or who was the most influential coach on the player you were and the person you are today? Oh, look, that's very good on the two things. I think all my all my coaches, I had um, four coaches over my career. Des Tubman, first coach who got me started, who really believed in me, pushed me really hard, but got me to understand how hard you got to work. Yep. Uh, Bill, um, Bill Stevens was a development coach. I won a best and first under him. Barry Davis, again, was uh, uh, probably ahead of his time. I won a best and first under him. And then the great Kevin Sheedy. Great right, Kevin Sheedy. And then he, you know, he was at the club for 27 years. And so some players haven't had other coaches to compare, so they don't know where I've had some to uh, compare. And I think he he really – I think all those coaches have a influence on you as a person because yep. uh, you look – and I said, I, my father died when I was 13, so I didn't have a father figure in my life as much as the coach of, of the team. So there's your father figure, and so you look yep. up at him. But I think Kevin Sheedy, um, on so many levels, looked about how how to um, work professionally more than anybody else on your on your job. Yep. Looked at the broader picture, looked at the bigger picture, looked at how you how you can improve yourself, improve your team, improve your club. So they all had they all had an impact on me. But, and I think Sheedy, of course, in them was our premiership coach. Yep. Um, really got us to believe in ourselves. I think that was one of the great things from Kevin Sheedy was that. Um, He's fanatical about his sport, which is great. He loves it, yeah. but he's, even he, he could be like he's being positive all the time is amazing. Of course, you had downers, and I mean we've had stand-up arguments over footy, etc. While I was playing, and he was passionate about coaching. I was passionate about playing. We disagreed. We argued. We got over it. I think I have more respect for him because of that. But I think in like we could have. I remember you know we could have a terrible loss, like 15, 20 goals, and be able to say, but. Like you see the young player on the wing, he was. We've got a player. He'd always come up with something that was really positive. Yeah, that was that was one of his uh, strengths right across his career. That he could, even in the darkest moments, he could still see light at the end of the tunnel. He could still see a, a positive direction he could go in. I think that was really really good. That's amazing to hear because I've heard many good things about Kevin Sheedy. Obviously, he's one of the greats. Or when it comes to when it comes to AFL VFL coaching, Kevin Sheedy's in there. Lee Matthews, Mick Malthouse, and Paul yes. Ruse a little bit, you know. And of course, you know, um, Alistair Clarkson and all them. They're definitely in the in the conversation there. And you can't have the convo without Kevin Sheedy in there. And you, you talk about Kevin. Some if you said any club said, look, if you took a coach for um, if you took a coach for twenty seven years, he'd get you into. I think seven grand, uh, six grand finals, four premierships, um, and uh, incre- increase your uh, membership twice over, three over. I uh, take you to national uh, league, take you into create create best and fairest and all that. So would you, you know, would you take it? And there's yeah. we go. Of course we would. No worries, no worries at all. There's one. Who, who wouldn't? Absolutely. So that's so, um, so that's one of the you know the measures of the great Kevin Sheed. Absolutely. So just got some a uh, few more topics before we get into some quick fire fun questions and then we'll wrap it up. So yeah. uh, the, the questions, obviously, I'd be remiss and I'd be letting down the Essendon faithful uh, listeners if I don't ask about the 84-85 grand finals back to back. What were the seasons like and what were the grand finals like? And of course, winning an, or getting a Norm Smith medal yourself. Yeah, look, the old, the old days are great. I mean, it's a long, geez, a long time ago you start looking at it. I finished 30 years ago. That starts from like 40 years ago. It's, a, it's scary, isn't it? Wow. But look, I, I suppose. Oh, I mean, that's a funny thing. You know, people say to you, "I saw you. I saw you Tuesday." I said, "What?" Well, you know, I was, 
I saw you on Tuesday night, so I was home. Had you seen me? Oh, we, they, you know, they played, <laughs> Fox yep. Foot played the 85 Premiership again. You go, oh, right, we're still playing. As Look, long as it's not the 83 or the 1990. Yeah, 80, <laughs> 83, um, 83, we got beaten then by a record score. Mm. Uh, well, a, a former record score. Yeah, luckily it's been beaten twice, so not many people talk about it. So that was, that's devastating. And Sheeds, I think, in my mind, used it enough, not too much as motivation. 84 was, um, we didn't necessarily go in as favourites, but uh, uh, we were probably equal. We were very hard to very hard to beat Hawthorne that year. And I remember Sheeds, I think it was the second semi before the prelim. We lost them by just uh, just over, I think it was uh, seven points, eight points. Not a record score. Yeah, not a, and, and we were devastated. And Sheeds after and said, look, they're the best team uh, and we're this far from it. So he went yeah. in a meeting after the game, you know, despondent and came out really, yeah, we can do this. And then... Um, very smart at three-quarter time. There's a lot of things he said and did, and we ran out at three-quarter time. He, you know, he, he, he built us up and said they were, you know, and so that that last quarter, I think we kicked nine goals, was just momentum up, momentum up to momentum. Wow. That was, uh, it was fantastic. And and I think people say, what's your best moment in your career? And there's a lot of great ones, but winning your first premiership, uh, that last moment when the siren goes, fantastic. 85, yeah. well, we were, you know, we were the best team in 85. You were the team to beat that year, yeah. and, and no one could. <laughs> And we were, and what and what happens in good teams is, um, you you win, you just get used to winning. You win, you drop one in game, you lose one. You go, oh, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, go back to winning, go back to winning. Where the op- it's the opposite for losing sides. You lose or lose. Oh, we won. Yeah. And yeah, I think we dropped three games. I'd have to go back and look. And you just remember going, oh yeah, okay, yeah, we should be doing that. Yeah, let's reset. And then in that grand final, um, yeah, we just. You know, just went through not the most, excuse me, not the motions because Hawthorne were great. And I always say to the Hawthorne supporters, look, think about this. I rate why I rate the 84 85 side as one of the greats is you think, and this is grand, this is Hawthorne for Hawthorne supporters. This is grand finals, right? So yeah. I'm just talking grand finals 83 win, 84 lose, 85 lose, 86 win, 87 lose, 88 win, 89 win, miss out 90 win, 91. Now that's a pretty, right. that's a pretty good run, isn't it? That's pretty bloody good. Yeah. Well, we beat them twice, so we must have been all right. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And so, and then that's the thing that happens too is that they are very hard. And when you win two in a row, every talk, everybody's talking about the you know the third one, three in a row. Yeah, the three beat. You get an injury to a key player. You get an injury to a uh, to uh, uh, two recruits. You uh, uh, the people who put a lot of effort into it sort of say, "Well, I've done my bit." They go away, and all of a sudden, you don't have the same culture and feel. Yeah, two previous years, and it's really, really hard to keep it going. So, and to keep that momentum and the vibes going around as well. So, you know, it was just, and I think, I think in '84, it had been back then. It's been longer now. It was 19 years between premierships. So that '84 for a lot of people. I was just fantastic because it'd been so long. Yeah, it was twelve teams. Twelve teams. Um, and the rules about getting players were much easier. Now it's Essendon has been longer between premierships, but there's 18 teams now, and the rules about getting the players won is a lot harder. Absolutely, so it's actually harder to get a premiership, I believe now than it was back then. Well, back then oh, you, know, you had a bit longer of a window, whereas nowadays you've got maybe three to five years to try and get to a grand final, try and win before you have to sort of rebuild. Yeah, and and you've got to give credit to like to Geelong and Sydney because oh, absolutely, continually. They haven't, you know, they haven't gone up and down the ladder. They've continually stayed towards the top. Consistent, yeah. Developing a team without dropping, without dropping out of the uh, out of the eight. So you've got to give them credit. Oh, absolutely. As at the moment, they've been, we've been through hard times. So, well, I think we've got a really good list. Um, uh, I was on the board. I'm off the board. I didn't disagree with the process. I didn't disagree with the decision. I disagree with the process. Yep. 
But, you know, now you've got, we've got a new coach and yep. you reset the whole new season. I reckon we've drafted well. I reckon we've traded well. I think our young players have got a really good list. Where uh, do you realistically – sorry, Dindra. Where do you realistically – obviously optimistically winning the grand final. Where do you realistically see Essendon um, finishing at the end of 2023? Look, I think, to, you know, to be fair to the coach, we've got to have some patience, which is a hard yep. to have with an Essendon support. I think three to four years is we, there'll be a definite window for the bout in the top four. Yep. I, I think in 2023, if you can make it to seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 in that yep. mid. I think hopefully. that's realistic. I think seven, eight, nine, 10 would be realistic. Yep. You know, to be, to be fair. That, that's a pass mark for this season, sort yeah, of thing. That's a pass mark. If it was lower, you'd be going, well, okay. So, I mean, the other thing is a new coach, and sometimes players have to take a while to get used to a yeah. whole, whole new regime, which is fair enough. But I think. To be fair to the coach and the players, they should be they should be aiming to be in, in the in the finals. And I've said that uh, in my time. I remember we we lost a couple of the nation finals. Everybody talks about being in finals. You win your first final, and we did. I remember when you win the first one. You go, oh, this is what they're talking about. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I like this. I, want I like this one. That's a really big stepping stone to play a final and win. I know, like the great Bobby Skilton, triple Brownlow medalist, played one final and lost. Yeah, uh, there's other players who have you know have been great players. Um, unfortunately, haven't been in the club at the right time to be able to participate in finals. But you get the chance to get in the in that door and and play one final, and you understand what everybody talks about. And that's a really good stepping stone for success afterwards. Absolutely, and that also you just covered literally my next few topics of thoughts on Essendon's draft and trades, the realistic targets and ladder prediction, all in one sort of bit of combo, which is perfect. I love it. Yeah, I love that. And I think I'm being, you know, I'm being fair and honest. Oh, absolutely. You've you've removed your bias because that's why I said optimistically they'd win every year, but yeah, realistically, <laughs> you should be aiming. You know, you should be in your mind aiming for a premiership every year. But, oh, absolutely. But realistically, realistically, as a club and coaching and supporters, you, you know, of course you want, but you've got to understand what the stepping stones are. And and you know, like at one stage this year, we um, sorry, last year, it's we're very joint. Twenty twenty two, um, we had one of the younger sides and young yeah. sides up and down and I, that was a frustration for a lot of the supporters Collingwood in like that period before the 2018 grand final from about 2015 to 2017 had a very young side and the reason why we were losing so much was blooding players and inexperience yeah and we talked before about you know players developing in the first 50 games and understand the second 50 the one game I remember we had 13 players under 60 games of which five were single figures you can't expect them to be doing things like, you know, and say Geelong in 2022, they were seen at, at the start of the year be too old. In the end, they were too experienced. How good's that, right? Too experienced and they got the job done yeah. and embarrassed Sydney in the sense of they definitely made the they made a record of the, of the score and definitely made this the 83 grand final a distant memory of yeah, anyone yeah. that's an Essendon fan. I said, I've been, I know it's like some days you turn up and for whatever reason, canalise after, it just doesn't come together and you can't drag yourself out of it. Exactly, like you could beat that team in for, that you that you lose to in the grand final twice or three times in the season, and, and just if, on grand final day they're better than you. And if you had another game, not a, you know, another grand, if you had another game next week, it'd be completely different. Because isn't that interesting? Because of the twenty ten grand final, Collingwood St Kilda last time it'll it'll ever sorry, it will ever happen. You know, people say that if there was maybe five more minutes, ten more minutes in that the the first grand final, St Kilda would have won. And I hate to say it, I agree with that statement. But we come back the next week and they win. Thank you. It's always enough. Was it enough spin? Was it enough spin or a leg spin as the ball went towards the goals late in the game? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so I've got some last topics to go, and there's some fun, quick fire ones. First of all, what's your beer or drink of choice? Uh, um, uh, if if I'm standing at the barbecue, it's probably VB. 
Yep. Um, or sitting around the house cutting drop it. My, I've got your grown kids and they introduce me to all the strange and new ones now, mate. So yeah, all the IPAs and XPAs. XPAs and IPAs and dark beers. I've got to try all them, but normally it's just a very plain um, uh, car draft for VB around yeah. the back here. Well, that, and, and if you don't want to be too adventurous into going into XPAs and IPAs, and as you said, you go down to the Mornington Peninsula, go down to the Mornington Brewery, just the, the, the old school original morning, and just get a Mornington Pale Ale. Yeah. That's, it's so I, delicious. I think all those, I love all of them, but it's just, you know, my old mind is just pick the easy one. And yeah. also, can't draft, you take the top off and there's a question underneath. Yeah, right. that's it. Yep, yeah, well, Forex do that as well. Only, um, beer, only beer that makes you smarter, that's all. <laughs> that's it. Um, how do you like your steak? Um, medium, to, there's not far, medium to medium rare, not too medium rare. And there's a there's a, just a mark in between. Medium yeah, that, that, that perfect middle spot, <laughs> absolutely agree. I don't want it mooing, blue yeah. slash rare, but I don't want it as a as a, tar, as a tarmac, like yeah. as a road cover sort of thing. Just, medium, just above medium rare, just a tar. Absolutely. Apple or Android? Oh, Apple, I'm an Apple man. I've just got yeah. stuck with the majors ago and I've never worried about changing. No, absolutely. Agreed. They're just so seamless. The layout's perfect. Uh, what's your favourite type of music, whether it's to play on the guitar or to listen to? Oh, look, this, I have a very eclectic um, uh, choice. Um, I don't, you know, I uh, uh, like Ry Cooter. Was, a lot of people go, who Ry Cooter is a great guitarist, a slide guitarist. I really like his music. I like some of the new stuff coming out. Um, you know, but... but any, any of the classics. Uh, any, in our, I was in a band before COVID. It hasn't sort of happened afterwards. Um, if you all the all the anthems, all the classics. If you couldn't move your feet and you didn't know the words, we never played the song. So yeah. Jimmy Barnes, The Beatles, The Stones, all those ones. Yeah. But uh, uh, I'm you know James Taylor, Billy Joel. I could go for a whole list. And I don't say that's a great artist. Um, uh, Bruce, you know Bruce Springsteen. Uh, there's some songs they do that I just love, and you know I yeah. that's a great song, and that's a great song. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Gangster's Paradise is a rap song. It's a magnificent song, but there's all, oh, it the, is. all these other rap songs that go, eh, you know, It's like, huh? What? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's an eclectic uh, choice of, uh, of genres. No, that's fair enough. What's your favourite movie, whether it's of all time or currently? Oh, look, Jesus. I think, um, uh, I think the Indiana Jones first movie, yep. I just love because it just, it took that adventure movie to a whole new level. Yeah. And I think that was um, it was fantastic. And then, oh, what's the one with Morgan Freeman in in jail? That was Shawshank the, Redemption. Shawshank Redemption was great just, film. And I think I, I very rarely do it. I think I've watched it about four times. Um, Never, I, I, but the thing is, you could watch it again and just love it. You know, I love it so much. I remember I watched it twice in one day because yeah. just that scene, the, the 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 final ending scenes where the bloke rips up the bloody you know the the warden rips it up and sees the hole and it's like. Oh, it's ah. And I think I think it might move you way ahead of its time. Oh. But also another one, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which yes. is really strange at the end, but for its, as a science fiction movie at its time was magnificent. It's just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. If you can have a... We can do a, we can do a whole other show on movies rather than uh, just oh, one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, superpower. Um, oh, jeez. That's a really good question. I think... Oh, I'll get very, I'm very philosophical here. I think I'd, I'd like to have the superpower of um, love and change and change the world. I keep saying to kids, they say to the kids, say, to, "What do you want? What do you want for? Um, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas?" I say, "World peace." Yep. If, if I had a superpower that could change the world and have world peace, that's what I'd have. 
Absolutely. Honestly, that's one of the best answers I've had. I always get, you know, the typical, you know, visibility, fly, time travel, but that's a really good one. I really well, like that. Will Peace is on my yeah, on my list. If I could have a superpower to change that, I'd have it. Absolutely. And I've got two final questions. First one is, what's something that not many people know about you, whether it's a hidden talent or, you know, a funny story that, you know, happened during a game or something uh, like that? Um, uh, I... Uh... I did a individual parachute jump at forty-five. Oh, okay. And I, I and I, my wife bought me for my fortieth birthday. By the time we got organised, I think it was about forty-five or something like that. And um, uh, I'm too, I'm too well back then. I still am. Uh, I'm keeping my weight down, which is good. But uh, I think if you're over hundred kilos, you couldn't do the um, tandem parachute jump. Yep. They don't do it. So uh, I said I'll do it by myself. So I did that. Wow. Um, and I've. Uh, bungee jump, swam with shark. I, I had a little bit. I've of been a, swimming with sharks before. Yeah, so it's only reef shark, but they're fairly big reef sharks. But oh, they're you, huge. If you get the photographer and put him there, and the shark between you, the photographer, you can make it look really big. It's really yeah. Big. Oh, absolutely. But I think um, a, a silly, silly one I've le- relearned again because I have to learn. I can re- recite all the states of America, which is just a silly thing. Okay, I'm going to make you do that right now and then we'll finish oh, no, up no, with no, last no, question. I'll, I'll, it'll take too long, but it's, I, it's start with the four. I'll just say the four A's, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, um, and Arizona. They're the first four. Wow. There's no B's and there's California. Uh, and it keeps going. I won't do it to you. No, no, that's fair. That's, that's my, awesome. My, my kids hate this, right? My kids hate this. Yep. ARP language. I got taught ARP language. An ARP language, ARP, put an ARP yep. after, um, before every vowel sound. So, and, and, Simon Madden, okay. becomes, Simon Madden becomes Sabi Mapon Mapadapin. Okay. CJ becomes uh, um, Sabi Jape. Okay. And the best one is, is like, say, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Yep. Okay. And then, <laughs> and my kids say, Dad, will you stop? It's a very dad, you know, dad joke thing. But the best one is, the best one to reel off is caravan and car park. Okay. And it goes kappa bap and up and kappa papa. <laughs> wow. And, and how I learned that was I was gonna say, how did that come about? I was I was gonna say at a teacher's college or you know, uni uni, when we're learning about um uh, how do you do syllables, uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, lecturers said, Well, if you want to teach kids a fun way of syllabization, you break up the syllables and put them up in. And that's where I learned it from. And I went, it's you know, my brain can't remember the really important things. Yeah. Remember that time of the Absolutely. I mean, it's too many hits playing football. (laughs) That's awesome, though. That's so awesome. And my last question for you is, what's next for Simon Madden? Oh, what's next for Simon Madden? Um, A couple of things. um, I've been uh, doing uh, just work, like work-wise, I work with organisations doing a lot of strategy with them. So look up simonmadden.com.au. There's my... um, My wife and I are looking to downsize. We've got a lovely big family home here, but our kids are growing up. Yep. Uh, and then we're waiting for our third grandchild to be born. So that's, congratulations! Thank you. That's where you start to um, start to think about how do you, and that's you know it's I don't think I'll ever give up work, but it's the balance of how much work yep. and how much family time and all that type of thing. So it's um it's a new it's sort of a new era um for the Maddens, and it's uh, going along nicely. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that the right balance of work, life, family, fun, all that. We'll see how we go. That's awesome to hear. So I'm just going to click stop recording.